Welcome. We are going to start because we have lots to try to do. Just so you know, on the Wellspring and Build side of things, and by the way, this is Wellspring on this side, and this is just kidding, it's not. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. This is not a, a um, first century Jewish synagogue uh, to worry about, but that's, that is what they did. Um, so you, as married couples, you can be really thankful that we're, we don't live back then. Um, we have so much today that we want to try to cover with you on both sides for Wellspring and Build. You're just going to feel like this is a fire hose, and that's okay. Just let it drip all over you. Leave as much of it here as you can. Just take the rest of it home with you in your car. And in the weeks to come, in the meetings to come, we'll help you uh, get the feel for what's happening here. If you're a repeat timer, you're yawning right now going, I know. If this is your first time, you have no idea what you're about to step into. And it's absolutely wonderful. We're really glad that you're here. I'm Scott Maxwell. I'm one of the uh, elders at Grace Bible Church. And um, we have a, a wonderful year planned for you with Build and Wellspring. Your lady leaders are Dina Eiserman and Janet Yates. Dina, are you, you, I see you. Is Janet in here yet? Hi, Janet. You're both right there. So if you're a lady and you need some assistance, those two ladies can help you out. Um, Matt Kelso, is he, he's still at the front. He's wondering right now, he can hear his name being said. Matt, wave to us from the front, can you? There he is, I see him. Matt Kelso and I are, are trying everything we can to keep you men under control, uh, so you can just pray for us. But let's, let's do this. Um, we are combined today only for this meeting. From now on, ladies, you'll meet in the back room where you're over here. And men uh, from in the future meetings will be over in the um, larger classroom on the other side where the Wellspring used to meet. Uh, if you were in build last year, we met a little bit further down the hall, guys, in a smaller room. We're not in that one. We're in the larger room at the front, but we'll guide you next week. So the biggest change comes for the guys. Next week, you won't come in the church and come to the left to this way. Next week, you'll go down the next generation ministry side, the children's ministry side, okay? And we'll be positioned to guide you and help you out, okay? Um, so we're just combined today because we want to just go over the, the same message together, which is the, the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. Uh, house rules are, there are no house rules. Um, so if you need to get up, would like to get up, if your coffee runs out, if you need another muffin, just make your way on up and out towards the back and help yourself come in and out as you need. Um, if you see somebody getting up and making their way out and you want to yell, hey, get me a muffin, you can do that. There are no house rules. What do you do at home? Okay, this is, this is your home this morning. All right. What we want to talk about together today is how Build and Wellspring fit into the larger, bigger picture of Grace Bible Church. That's what this message is all about. It's really helpful um, to, for you to know whatever ministry you are within, uh, within Grace Bible Church, to know how it connects back to the whole church, uh, because th this is a part that is designed to do its part that the corporate gathering together on a Sunday cannot achieve. And the corporate gathering on Sunday doesn't substitute for this. They both hold their unique place, and so we're just trying to help you understand where this fits in the bigger picture. So to do that, let's pray, and then we'll dig in, okay? 
Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we wake up and as we fellowship together, that we would um, put your Bible right out in front of us and let your truth speak to us about who you are and what you've called us to be and do in Christ um, until he comes back. Lord, would you open our eyes, soften our hearts, make us teachable. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you do not have one of the um, handouts to be able to take notes on, I know that Ben in the back, he's got a green shirt on. He's got a few left for the guys if you do not have one. Women, I don't know if if you have any extras or not. But um, let's go ahead and take that sheet out. It should just say the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. And we want to talk about that this morning. You know this, but if you aim at nothing in your life, you, will, you, you can't plan on hitting the right target or goal of life. Um, Lee Iacocca was the, the head of Chrysler a long time ago. He brought them out of the hole in the ground they were in, and he said, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. And if you aim at nothing, you can't certainly hit the right target. And if you aim at the wrong target in your life, you can't expect to hit the right target then either, right? Your only hope at hitting the right target is first to know what it is, and then to aim at it and, and pursue it with all your might and all your strength. And as a church, we don't want to aim at nothing, obviously. And we certainly don't want to aim at the wrong target um, as a church body. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to come up with a way to put flesh on the right target so that we can direct all of our energies toward it. And we need to strive towards this goal, not with our own strength, because we'll certainly fail if we do that, but we must rely on God's word, and we must rely on his spirit's strength within us to hit the target that he has set up for us. But not only do we need to know, have our Bibles open and have God's spirit helping us, we also need to abandon some things so that we can hit the right target, because there are some things that can trip you up along the way. So in in aiming for the right target, we want to abandon the wisdom of the godless culture that we live in. That wisdom will offer us no help in hitting the target that God has set up for us. We want to even abandon business trends that work for corporations, but say nothing about how men and women and brothers and sisters in Christ live together and put their lives together uh, to the glory of God. And we also want to really just throw away all of the trendy trends that just keep coming around and around and around again in evangelicalism. Uh, Those things are not going to help us hit the target. So the vision and purpose statement for Grace Bible Church, it kind of functions as a a fleshy target for us to hit at. It it makes something that is, it simplifies what is very deep and important in this book, and it makes it a little bit more simplified, memorable, um, so that we can know what we're aiming at. Um, and all we really need is our Bibles in front of us. The Bible alone tells us what the target is. It directs us step by step as a church. Um, so what is this statement, this vision and purpose? It's one way to distill or summarize what the Bible says in its entirety. Um, now listen, whenever you, you try to summarize something, you leave important information out. So does this vision and purpose statement say everything that is in this book? No, it can't. Does it leave some really important stuff out? Yeah, it does, unfortunately. But um, it, it, this is a way for us just to try to make it more accessible and memorable. So let me just read it to you at the top. You see a big kind of bold statement in the middle. That's the main heart of it all. A biblical vision of God leads us 
to our gospel purpose in Christ, okay? And then connected with the biblical vision part is a, is a triad or a, the Trinity. It's really our God, right? The God of glory, the Christ of the cross, and the Holy Spirit who brings transformation of life. Uh, that's connected with the biblical vision part. Connected with the gospel purpose underneath that is a threefold activity, drawing in, building up, and sending out. If you notice um, what's underlined in that main part of biblical vision, we begin broadly. You see the word Bible in that, right? Bible vision, a biblical vision. Uh, and then it narrows down into the gospel or a gospel purpose or a gospel mission of Jesus Christ as defined by the gospel of Jesus. So it's important to understand the difference between the Bible and the gospel. What is this I'm holding up? Is it the Bible or is it the gospel? It's the Bible. But what is inside this Bible? What is the crown jewel in this Bible? It is the gospel. They are not at odds with one another. They do not compete against one another. And one does not replace the other. They complement each other. But we want to start first by setting our sights on what the Bible says from front to back. And then we want to narrow ourselves down to a gospel purpose in Jesus Christ. Okay, does that make sense? So... Notice both of those uh, are in a triad form, right? I pointed that out to you. Um, the vision part focuses on a person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the purpose then focuses on a threefold action or activity, a gospel activity, drawing in, building up, and sending out. And, and I love this about our, our uh, vision statement. First, what we get to do is we focus our sights on a person, that's the most important thing, and that is one of the things that Build and Wellspring are going to help you with the most this year, is that we're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to look for a person, and we're not looking for ourselves primarily. We're first and foremost looking for the God of the Bible. That's what we need. He is who we need the most, uh, more than anything else. And so we want to start there, and after gazing upon him in worship with our Bibles open, now then we are ready to get to work but not until we've looked at the one whom the Bible reveals. Does this make sense? So let's take a look at each one of these. Let's start number one with a biblical vision of God. What do we mean by the word vision in that phrase, a biblical vision of God? Uh, we purposefully chose a word from the sight family of words. By vision, we mean that we want to see the God of the Bible with the eyes of our hearts and our minds. That sight of him, it comes only through um, what the scriptures display for us or reveal to us about him, okay? In other words, it's a biblical vision of God. It's a, a vision of God that the Bible directs us to see. We do not see God. We do not have a vision of him from any other source, okay? We are Grace Bible Church. We're not Grace Imagination Church. We're not Grace Good Book Church, we are Grace Bible Church, and we have the Bible as what we want to see God by. We see God by the scriptures, we see him in those scriptures, and we see him there only. We do not dream about what we might like him to be, we don't try to imagine what we think he should be like, we don't turn to any other book, we want to see him by the Bible, in the Bible. And what do these scriptures set our eyes on concerning God? Well, one way to summarize that grand revelation of God that this book is, is in this triad. The glory of God in the cross of Christ for the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit. 
the God who is a God of glory, the Son who is the Son who went to the cross, and the Spirit who uh, transforms our lives. Um, so that's what we want to do. Let's start first with the glory of God, the glory of God. The word glory in your Bible is uh, always defined by its context. It can have different meanings in different contexts. What we're referring to here is when the word glory means something of weight or weightiness, heaviness. In other words, it's overwhelming. It's impressive. It has a splendor to it that is just overwhelming to the senses. In regards to God, in Scripture, God appears to communicate or manifest his weightiness, his glory, oftentimes in, con in, in connection with radiant, brilliant light. You ever read those passages in the Old Testament when God is just beaming forth before Moses? And there's a sense in which God's glory is that which he uses to, at special moments in the Bible, to reveal himself to man in such a way that the man can take God in and still survive. You can write down John 1.18. John there says, no one has seen God at any time. So how many people have seen God? Nobody. In his fullness. Turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33.20, we'll kind of start in that part of our Bible. God himself, Yahweh himself said to Moses in Exodus 33, 20, he said, no man can see me and live. And by that, he means look, look me on full in the face. So no man has seen God at any time in his fullness because that man would be dead. But what God does with his glory is at times he will allow the overwhelmingness, the, the impressiveness in, in a radiant splendor, a brilliant light to be, take, to be taken in by the man. He is overwhelmed by it. He oftentimes, as you notice in Scripture, falls to the ground as if a dead man and has to be revived so that he can continue to take in what God is trying to reveal of himself. Moses was dropped to his knees by the glory of God. He came down the mountain and people were afraid of him. Why? Because his face was glowing. It was reflecting that radiant impressiveness and splendor of God. Now, let's, let me give you a couple of uh, pairings from the Old Testament to the New Testament to show you how your Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament holds on to the glory of God, okay? Write down these two if they're not already in your notes. Write down Exodus thirty-three eighteen. And Luke 9, 28 to 36. In Exodus 33, Moses is on a mountain before the glory of God. He has just brought Israel out from Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They're out in the wilderness. He's now up on a mountain. And he is on a mountain before the glory of God. In Luke chapter 9, Moses is on a mountain. And the glory of God is radiating forth from the face and the person and the being of Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. Your Old Testament, your Older Testament, and your Newer Testament paired up together, showing that theme from one end of the Bible to the next. Here's another pairing for you. Write down Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. Isaiah 6, 1 to 7, and John 12, 37 to, 40, uh, 37 to 41. John 12, 37 to 41. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the glory of Yahweh in a vision in the temple, 
And John tells us in John chapter 12 that Isaiah saw the glory of whom? Jesus, the Messiah, in that vision. So from your Older Testament to the Newer Testament, the glory of God is a central theme in your Bible. And so we want to set our sights, the eyes of our hearts and minds on that. And what difference is that supposed to make in your daily life? Um, it, It should be this. Don't rush to action at the expense of adoration. Don't start thinking, what do I need to do for God today? What does God want me to do today? Before you get there, just adore God. Don't rush to try to go out and glorify him by skipping over what is glorious about him in Scripture. So therefore, start your day, begin your day, and all throughout your day, whenever you can, position yourself before the Bible to first just drink in the glory of God. Drink in what is impressive about him. Ask yourself, whatever text you have open, it doesn't matter that day if you read 10 words or if in your Bible reading you read 10 chapters. Wherever you're at, Ask yourself, what is impressive about God in this passage? What is overwhelming about his character and his being and his nature here? Linger there in worship. Just talk to him. Say back to him what his word reveals to you about him. Admire him. Adore him. Worship him. Drink that glory of God in So how do you go about glorifying God with your life if you don't first come and just see what is glorious about him? Our cry each day needs to be very similar to Moses' cry on the mountain in Exodus 33. What did he cry out before Yahweh? Show me your glory. Well, we say the same thing with our Bibles open. We, we, we wipe the sleep out of our eyes. We take a sip of coffee and we open our Bibles and we say, God, show me your glory. Show me your impressiveness. Show me who you are. I need, my soul needs that more than I need anything else today. That's where we begin. We position ourselves to see the glory of God. And then our, how well prepared are you then to want to go out and glorify God with your life? So open your Bible each day with a cry of desperation, with a a pleading to God for him to show you his glory. You'll be set then, positioned to glorify God in your life. Secondly, what did the scriptures set our eyes on? They set our eyes on and they prepare our eyes to look at the most shocking event ever recorded in the pages of scripture, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, number two. The Bible sets our eyes on the cross of Christ. Uh, Let me tell you about how Christ's death at the cross is related to God's impressiveness, his weightiness, his splendor. The weightiness of God and the impressiveness of God, the radiant brilliance of God in Scripture is inseparably tied to the shed blood of an innocent substitute. Let me remind you what the, how the early pages of your Bible uh, work themselves out. In the Old Testament, God in all of his glory, in all of his brilliance and radiant glory was enveloping the mountain, Mount Sinai. He was shaking and quaking that mountain. That mountain was trembling under the cloud and under the light and the brilliance of God with Moses. 
the, the nation of Israel was down at the bottom and they were told, stay away from the mountain. Don't even let the, the, the livestock go up near to it or they will die. This mountain is just trembling under the massive, weighty impressiveness of God. And then on that mountain, God prescribed to Moses. He said, I want you to go down and I want you to make me a tent. And I want you to put my tent and surround it with all of your tents. I want to live among you. And God said he is going to put his massive, impressive, overwhelming radiance, that presence of him, into that tent, the the very presence that's causing a mountain to tremble. He's going to put it inside a tent. And in that tent, worshipers will come to him, but they can only come to him by the blood of of an innocent sacrifice. You see, God fused his glory with the blood of an innocent substitute for worship. Look at Exodus 40. I'm gonna take you there for a moment. I want you to see this. I want you to see how Exodus ends and Leviticus begins. Look at Exodus 40, verse 34. They go down from the mountain, Moses does. He gives out the, 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 the instructions for the tent. They gather all the supplies. They make the tent. And it says in Exodus 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Yahweh filled the the, the tabernacle, that's the tent. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled their tabernacle. And you know the story, whenever that cloud got up and left the tent, they knew that it was time to set out. And as long as that cloud stayed of God's presence, that weightiness kind of hanging on the tent, as it stayed, they just stayed as long as they needed to. Now look how Leviticus begins. Take out the title Leviticus and just, you're just keep reading. Then, next, Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent. And he said, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man brings an offering to Yahweh, whenever you come to worship me, drop down to verse four. You bring your offering, you bring your animal. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. So the worshiper would bring the animal, he would put his hands on the head, and the, 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 the priest would slit the throat and drain the blood out, and the animal would die in front of his presence, in his hands. And it was a visible reminder that, oh my goodness, a life, this, my sin cost a life, an innocent life. Look at the blood. And God's overwhelming, radiant press impressiveness is all over this tent, and that one is worshiping that Yahweh by the, and through that blood. Now, Exodus 40 and Leviticus are not the revelational climax of your Bible in regards to this, are they? Oh, but man, do they set you up big time in the best way possible for the revelational climax, which is when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sheds his innocent blood on the cross for those who worship God. He is our only help, our only hope. The New Testament is full of texts about his glory. You can write down 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 to 7. I wish we had time to stop at each one of these, but we would be here until tomorrow morning. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about his bloody sacrifice. 
This means if these two things are fused together, it means that you can't talk about the glory of God for very long without inevitably getting to the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You can't talk about the glory of God for long without getting to forgiveness of sin through his blood. You can't talk about the glory of God without getting to the putting away of our sin from the Holy Father's sight through the substitutionary death of Jesus at the cross. A key theological phrase that will become increasingly precious to you, I hope, is penal substitutionary atonement. Those three words are very important words. Listen, uh, electricians have their own language, their own trade language. Uh, Construction guys have their own. Uh, Teachers have their own language. Computer techs and geeks have their own language. And so do we. And we make no apology for using words like substitutionary atonement. Don't be ashamed of stuff like that. It's our, these are our words. What does penal mean? It stands for penalty. There's a penalty that must be paid because we have sinned. We, we've committed treason against God. Substitutionary. That penalty can only be paid not by me, not by you, but by a substitute who sheds his blood in our place so that we can have our sins before God atoned for. We can have our guilt taken away from the presence of God. We can have the wrath of God satisfied against us in Jesus' death. We can be reconciled to him through the blood of Christ. That's atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. That's what you think of when you think of Jesus dying in your place. A penalty paid by my substitute to atone for my sins. What difference does that make in your daily living, oh my goodness, same thing as the glory of God. You come to your Bible to drink that in first. Why would we rush out and do anything else before doing that? Why wouldn't we throughout the day try to reset our compass, our course back to this throughout our day? Why would we not wanna close our eyes thinking and remembering and praying these things? Drinking in the substitutionary death of Jesus at the cross. Write down Galatians 6, 14 and 15. Here's what Paul said. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, how how is it that you can boast in Jesus Christ if you don't come and drink that in about him at the cross? It's difficult to boast in one that you haven't set your mind towards, right? Right? That's how you prepare to boast in him. That's how you make yourself ready to boast in him at any point throughout your day. Our minds need to be so full of this substitutionary death of Jesus in our place that that our minds leak it, our mouths leak it. This is our primary counsel to ourselves when we sin as a believer. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ and you sin? What do you tell yourself? Uh, A penalty paid by my substitute to atone for my sin. When you do something really well, and it was, it was amazing, and you can't even believe that God even enabled you to do something so great, what do you tell yourself? I had a penalty that needed to be paid by a substitute to atone for my sin. This is all of him. What do you tell your child? What do you tell your spouse? What do you tell your parents? What do you tell your coworker when they are overwhelmed? What do you tell the, your, your friend in your small group who is overwhelmed by their guilt from their sin again that just keeps clobbering them? What do you tell them? Penalty paid by an innocent substitute, Jesus, to atone for your sin. When you get impressed with your own righteousness, what do you tell yourself? 
I still had a penalty that had to be paid by an innocent substitute to atone for my sin. This is what you reset your life to over and over and over. It is the glory of God in this bloody death of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to set our sights on as a church. Thirdly, we need to set our sights on the transformation of life by the Spirit. Do you know what the Bible says about and lays out as the Holy Spirit's primary work? What the Bible says. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about the new birth, to cause us to be born again, and then to usher us into a new life. That's what the Bible lays out as the primary work of the Holy Spirit, to cause us to be born again, and then to usher us into a new life that is empowered by him. Not, that, that, that is not lived out in our own strength, but that is empowered by him. The Holy Spirit does that by taking that substitutionary work of Christ at the cross and apply it to the one, applying it to the one who, whom he is saving. Listen, what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago has to somehow connect with my life. It must broadside me in my grave and bring me out of the grave. And for my case, that happened in February of 1985. 2,000 years ago, I wasn't saved. 2,000 years ago, everything that I needed to be saved was achieved for me. And the divine appointment that God and his spirit had with me in February of 85, uh, you have something similar for you. If you are a believer, it must be applied to your life. And the spirit of God is the one who goes into the grave and makes you alive again with that work of Christ for you. He adopts us into God, Romans 8, verses 14 to 17. That's how he adopts us. The Holy Spirit then seals the believer, Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14. He becomes the pledge, the guarantee, the down payment of our inheritance. He says, you have an inheritance, and just so you know that you've got something coming that is beyond description, I'm going to guarantee it with my very presence in your life. I am the guarantee. That means the Holy Spirit is powerfully preserving us and reserving us for heaven in which we, when we'll finally be freed from our sin to worship Jesus. But in the meantime, right now, what is the Spirit of God doing in, in this new life that he has brought to us? Well, he is powerfully enabling us to fight against indwelling sin, that residual sin that just keeps hanging on that won't go away. And all of this indescribable work of the Holy Spirit brings about an amazing transformation of life to us, okay? Okay? His new birth that he accomplishes for us, it ushers us into new life. New life which is marked by overcoming sin on a daily basis. Uh, here's a couple of verses to write down if it's not already in your notes. John 3, 1 to 8, Jesus telling Nicodemus that he must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. John 3, 1 to 8, and Titus 3, 5 to 7. Titus 3, 5 to 7. Go to Romans chapter 8. Let me show you one example of the Spirit at work in our lives. Look at Romans 8, verse 13. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. 
That's an unbeliever. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the believer. How do you put to death the deeds of the body? Not by church, not by friends, not by believing spouse, not by believing children, not by good books, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who helps you, enables you to be able to put to death the deeds of the body. All those other things may be very good and helpful, um, but they are not the power of God in our lives. What difference does this make for you on a daily basis? Well, just like the prior two focal points, you need to daily position yourself to come before this member of the Godhead too in scripture and say, I need you. I need you for this. Do you wanna know what it means to walk by the spirit? It means to walk in holiness of life, learning how to put off sin and put on righteousness, uh, living out righteous deeds. And you need him for that, and you cry out to him. You plead for his help. I need you. If you're a parent, you, you understand how precious, it is, how precious it is when your child says, Mommy, I need you. Daddy, I need you. Will, will you help me? You, you love it when that happens, don't you? This is what we need to cry out with our Bibles open for the Spirit of God to come. Do you want fullness of the Spirit in your life? You want him, him for that. That's what you want him for. That's what you need him for. Resolve with your Bible open and in prayer to yield yourself to the Spirit for sanctification. His primary purpose was to convert you, to adopt you, to seal you for heaven. And right now, his primary ministry in your life is to empower you to, uh, to become more and more transformed into the image of Christ by his strength. So plead for him to strengthen you to yield to his sanctifying work in your life. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So focusing on this triune God of the Bible, God the Father, the God of glory, the, the Christ of the cross, the Spirit of transformation, that certainly will fuel your worship of God. But it also does something else really important. You can't focus on the three members of the Godhead and also at the same time not understand what biblical salvation is. If you look at God in scripture, you will understand what biblical salvation is because that's what they're about, saving sinners. So you wanna look at the God of overwhelming, radiant glory who crucified his son as an innocent substitute for forgiveness of sins and the spirit of God who relentlessly guides you into a transformed life by his power. Do you worship that God? If you do, your life will change. It must change. That God does not apply all of his triune work and power to a sinner and that sinner go, eh, this doesn't. The life must change. So if your life is not progressively, steadily changing, this is the place to come back to. Who, who's the God of the Bible? I need to come back to him. Your life may not be a radical explosion transformation that takes place in an instant. It probably won't be. Most likely, it's just gonna be a long marathon. But there has to be continual progression in transformation of life more and more to the image of Jesus. And if it's not, the place to start is to come back to the God of the Bible and look at him, okay? 
So there's the first half of our church's vision and purpose statement. We started this, broad as the Bible now, let's ask ourselves about the purpose. Number two, our gospel purpose in Christ. What do we mean by gospel purpose? Well, we're, we are referring to Jesus' gospel mission. As, as you read through your Bible, you're going to see that God at different, per, had di- at different times with different people had different purposes throughout his redemptive plan. Noah was given by God a purpose. His purpose was to build an ark and then get all the living things and pairs into it in his family, right? Uh, Moses, um, and by the way, that's not your purpose. But boy, is it profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, right? Moses was given a purpose by God. He was supposed to go into Egypt and help in the deliverance of his people out of Egypt to go through a body of water and out into the desert, okay? That's not your purpose. But boy, is it profitable. David was given a purpose by God. It was to leave the sheepfold and to go and become the king of Israel and carry out the righteous justice of God from his throne in Jerusalem. And that is not your purpose. But boy, is it profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Which purpose in the Bible do you live under and that you are obligated to? You're not obligated to build an ark. That's good news, okay? But you are obligated to live under Christ's purpose in his gospel mission in the New Testament. Don't miss this. Being a Christian is not about God yielding himself to the purposes that you want. But it is you dying to what you want to live for his purpose in Christ. I'm sure Noah had to give up the things that he was doing so that for 120 years he could build an ark. I'm sure Moses had to give up the things that he was interested in in the wilderness to go do what God called him to do. And I'm sure David had to give up his interest in sheep to be able to um, do what God called him to do. And you must die to your own purposes so that you can, with undistracted devotion, take up Jesus' gospel purpose for your life. As we study the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, it appears that he gave to his disciples three overlapping um, activities, drawing in, building up, and sending out. Let's take a look at each one of those, drawing in. Jesus had something to say about what it means to be drawn into God. Let's take a look at some of these. Go to John chapter 6. I want you to see this, John 6, verse 44, we'll let the Bible tell us what, how this drawing in takes place, John 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So what's the only way that a man can come to the Father, to Jesus? If the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look over at verse 65 of the same chapter. And Jesus was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Now notice how Luke says it in Acts chapter 13. Turn to Acts chapter 13. This is Paul's first missionary journey. He is in Pisidian Antioch. He is speaking to the Jews in the temple. It is now the next Sabbath. They've come back to hear him. The Jews have begun to reject him. And Paul has turned to the Gentiles. And in Acts 13, verse 48, 
um, when the Gentiles hear that uh, the message of Paul and the gospel is coming to them. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. How many believed? Every single one appointed for eternal life believed. In other words, what the New Testament makes immensely clear is that in the gospel mission of Jesus, we preach. We have to preach the gospel. We call sinners to repentance and faith in the gospel, but sinners are ultimately and finally drawn in to a saving relationship with Christ because of God's sovereign love and grace. That is the work before us, under us, with us, in us, beyond us, after us that takes place when a Sinner is saved. So what is important for us to remember as we go about carrying out this gospel purpose that we are obligated to participate in? It's this, that drawing in is ultimately salvation drawing in. If I could take those three words and make one new one, it's salvation drawing in. That's what it is. That God does, although we have an amazing privilege to be able to participate with him in that by the preaching of the gospel. And it's also very important to note carefully that Jesus Christ crucified is God's powerful object of attraction as he savingly draws in. So what do we preach? We have to preach that which God has infused his power in. Write down 1 Corinthians 1.18. The gospel of, of Jesus is foolishness to those who do not believe, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's what we lift up is the power of God in the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the only power there is for salvation. Jesus said in John 12, verses 32 to 33, that when he is lifted up, he will draw men to himself, meaning lifted up in the cross, in his death in the cross. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except one thing. What was it? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because that's where the power of God is. So we have this amazing privilege to participate in. We just lift that message up. We say that to everybody who will listen. But God is the one who in his sovereignty uses that. That's his power to draw the sinner into a saving relationship with him. Drawing in is therefore not primarily about us developing ministry programs in which we draw in attenders. You understand? If we think that gaining attenders, having our chairs filled, if we think that's the goal, we haven't pushed ourselves far enough in the gospel purpose that Jesus has for us yet. The drawing in that we're aiming for in Jesus' gospel purpose is the drawing in where God himself saves a sinner to Christ through faith in the preaching of the gospel. And we should not be satisfied until we see that drawing in take place in the lives of those around us. We should not be a church that is quickly or easily satisfied and becomes giddy with new attenders. When are we most satisfied? When God savingly draws sinners into Christ through repentance and faith in Christ, that is 
what we should labor intensely for. Listen, salvation growth is better than mere numerical growth. Or to put it another way, numerical growth only becomes significant if it's what? Salvation growth. That's what we want. And what difference does this make on a daily basis? Well, listen, as you share the gospel with your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, whoever, your spouse, your, your parents, remember that they are all dead in their sins and they need a drawing power out of a grave that is bigger and better than any power you possess. You cannot make the spiritually dead alive, but you know what the power of God is that can make a dead one alive. It is the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need a power beyond your friendship. Your friendship is so important. And they need a power beyond your wisdom. Oh, you need to be wise about how you present it. They need a power beyond your logic. Listen, you gather up all the logic that you have and you employ it towards making a defense of the gospel, but it's not enough to make the dead alive. You need to pray. You need to pray like Paul did. He prayed for his kinsmen in the flesh, his fellow Jews. He wished that even he could be, he'd have his salvation taken away so that they could be saved. So that means you must put before dead sinners only that which has the power to achieve their new life, and that is the gospel. That's what draws them in to a saving relationship with God. Remember this about yourself. If you are a believer, you weren't ultimately and finally converted or savingly drawn into Christ because of another person's friendship. That was important, I'm sure. But it wasn't the power of God for your salvation. You weren't drawn in to Christ through church attendance. That might have been really important for you, but it is not the power of God for salvation. They had their place. What had power to convert you, Christian? God and God alone in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sovereignly saved you through his son's death in your place. He drew you out of the grave into new life in his son. So give the proper weight to really good things like friendship, church attendance, Bible study attendance, whatever. Give, give proper weight to those things, but don't overweight them. Don't, don't pretend that they're more important than they are. Daily pray for the lost around you. Press for them to be savingly drawn in. Don't let them be content merely with attending church. It's great when you have an unbelieving friend who starts to come to church with you. It's fantastic. It is great. And you should rejoice when that happens. But it'll be nothing compared to the kind of rejoicing you'll do when they repent and believe, right? So hold everything in its proper place. Don't let them be content. Some, some unbelievers draw contentment out of, well, I just kind of hang out with Christians and they, that kind of makes them feel better. It doesn't, shouldn't make them feel better. Not yet. This is called parenting, by the way. Is it not, parents? It's gospel purpose. It's you, you live before these ones in your, in your home and you, you, what are you after? Comfort when they just obey and do what you ask them to do? Oh, that is thinking way too small. What are you after as a parent? 
You want to see them drawn into Christ. And you are very well aware, day after day, sometime by the hour, you have no power to achieve that. Oh, but you know where the power is. And you know who the power is. Number two, building up. It's important to understand how these three points work together, drawing in, building up, sending out. They overlap one another as gospel activities. They're complementary gospel activities with one another. There's, there is some degree of sequence, right? There's a logic to drawing in and then being built up and then being sent out. There's a logic to that. There's a sequence to that, but they are not strictly sequential. In other words, drawing in is not first grade, and when you're done with first grade, you go on to second grade, and you never have to do first grade again. Lord willing, you don't have to do first grade again. When you're done with second grade, you don't have to go on to third grade. Maybe for some of you, third grade was the best two years of your life. I don't know. (laughs) Kindergarten for sure. That's okay. Because who remembers kindergarten? If you did kindergarten twice, what difference does that make in your life now? See? You're all very well-functioning, normal people. (laughs) Right? But drawing in and building up and sending out is not like that. In fact, some of the best building up that will ever take place in your own life is while you are being sent out with the gospel as he is drawing in sinners to himself. You will be built up by that in ways that you would have never imagined. See three things happening all at once. Once a lost sinner, though, is savingly drawn in by the gospel through faith alone and Christ alone, that believer needs to start being built up by the gospel. But building up in the New Testament takes place at two different levels, a personal individual being built, being built up and then a corporate building up. You individually are to be built up, but God is very, very, very concerned that the body of Christ be built up as well. The thing for you to think about is which one are you more aware of on a daily basis? You're going to, I mean, only you can, can function in, in helping yourself be built up. Your, your spouse can't build you up uh, and, um, and be the one that primarily does it. You have to yield yourself to the word of God and to the spirit of God and be built up in your life by the truth in the word of God. But you need to be aware that your life is to be connected to a body of people as well. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see this for the building up part. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. Here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. He, Jesus, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Why? To the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see the emphasis on the corporate side of things? The body, the church, the local gathering? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, we all are looking at one man, Jesus Christ. We need to be built up corporately together in him As a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children. Now watch this. Here's the opposite of unity. Tossed here, tossed there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. When you go home today, if you have a pool, take a bag of Cheetos and don't don't do it, but just imagine it. Put the Cheetos in the pool and then tell your kids to start doing cannonballs in the pool. What are those Cheetos going to do? They're going to go everywhere and they're going to make your pool guy so mad. I just did a pitch for you, Jerry. Now you can come and clean it up. Travis, where are you guys at? There you are. Good. Um, 
So what is he saying here? What scatters, what, what takes the, the members of the body of Christ and scatters them? It's every wave, uh, um, wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's everything that is not the gospel and is not the Bible. That scatters us. That doesn't build us up. That breaks us down and separates us. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom, and watch this, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And I wanna put this verse for you up on the screen. Here it is. This is uh, the, the New American Standard and I'm gonna show you this because I want you to see where you fit in and where the body fits in, okay? This is verse 16. Here's the main clause at the top. Here's the main idea. The whole body, dot, 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 skip all of those Pauline words in the middle for just a moment, causes the growth of the body. Now that is so counterintuitive. Who would have thought that? God's design is that the whole body would actually cause the growth of the body. So all of us together are the ones who are helping the whole body grow. That's what he says. The first phrase that actually starts the verse is that this is from him. This is from whom? From him, Christ, who was just mentioned in verse 15. So whose idea is it that the whole body would cause the growth of the body? Whose idea is it? Is it the elders? Is it yours? It's Jesus' idea. This is how he determines the body grows. Well, how does that happen? Well, we have to be fitted and held together. How can a body grow if it's not fitted and held together? Well, how does that happen? Well, it's fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. The idea is by what every connection supplies. So one body part comes up against another body part. There's a connection and there's a supply there. Actually, the idea is there's a power supply there. You put the two things together, you put them together and there's a supply of power. That's then what fits and holds together and that's what causes the growth of the body. Well, how does that joint supply, that connection power happen? Well, that has to happen according to the proper working of each individual part. There you are, Christian. You must individually work according to what God intends for you to be. You must become built up yourself so that when you take your built up life that's working according to the way it's supposed to and another believer takes his built up life according to the way it's supposed to and you come together, there is a supply of power in that that fits and holds us together that causes the growth of the body. This is what the New Testament teaches about edification, about being built up. What is this for? It's, it's for the building up of itself. This is what builds us up. It's restating the main idea. In love. We're people that love each other. We love our Savior. This is what the New Testament teaches about being built up. What difference does this make every day? It should make a mind correction or readjustment, recalibration in your mind. How much of these two dimensions do you focus on each one? I have no doubt that you think about you. I, I think about me. That comes very naturally, unfortunately. Sanctified, though, under the Spirit, we, can, we, we need to take care of ourselves and make sure that we are being built up the way that we must be. But how connected is your life to the body of Christ? 
you're calling Grace Bible Church your home. How connected is your life to this people here? You need to give thought to that because that's what God has given thought to. This is from him. That's a good measurement to reveal how much you're personally investing in. If all of your effort is just to think, I just want to grow as a Christian, and corporate gathering, putting your life together with other believers is negotiable, something's not calibrated right in your mind yet. Do you understand that? Many Christians only think of their personal responsibility to be built up without thinking about how the body of Christ that they are a part of should also be built up. Or many people just view the church as the place that's only going to help them personally or individually be built up. That's what this big thing exists for, is just to make me feel fulfilled. Yeah, sort of? No, better. Yes, we all put our lives together. You must grow and you must put your life together with others. What happens if you take two batteries, one that's charged and one that's not, and you put them together in a flashlight? Click, nothing. You can't be that one that's not charged. You've got to be the one that is growing and is being built up personally with the word of God, by the spirit of God, so that when you put your life together with somebody else, the light comes on. This is what we are. This is what we do together. The, 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 the exhortation to you this morning is not to focus less on your own personal building up. The emphasis is to focus more on the corporate building up. Put your life together with other believers in this church. Three overlapping activities in the gospel that we put our lives to, drawing in, building up. Let's talk lastly about sending out. Let me help you see the bigger picture. First, God himself has always been ascending God. God in the Old Testament was always ascending God. He sent Moses to carry out his plan for Israel. He sent Isaiah out after Isaiah saw God's glory in Isaiah 6. He sent Jeremiah out in Jeremiah chapter 1. He did the same thing with Ezekiel. He sent him out in Ezekiel 3. And God did the same with John the Baptist. He was sent in John 1 and in John 3. And, get this, Jesus Christ was sent by his sending father. Read through the Gospel of John and just look how many times Jesus said, <clears throat> I did not come to do the, my own will, but the will of him who, what? sent me. So Jesus refers to himself over and over. Look in John 4 and 5. Those are the two chapters that you just get like this flurry of Jesus saying, him who sent me, him who sent me, him who sent me. That's the way Jesus portrayed himself to others. I am the one that the Father sent. Consider what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Write down John 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7. Jesus said, I will send to you the Spirit. Oh, so wait, let me get this. God in the Old Testament is ascending God. Jesus was sent by the Father, and Jesus now sends the Spirit. So the Father sent the Son, the Spirit sent, the Son sent the Spirit. Uh, this is just ascending Trinity, is it not? Okay, and then finally, that Jesus, the sent one, tells his 12, you are my apostles, meaning you are my sent ones, right? They were sent out. So how should you think of yourself? Well, I'm not a sent one. I can't, no. I, I'm not very good talking to people about the gospel. I just, 
right? No, can't do that. You are a sent one as well. A sending God and a sent Savior and a sent Holy Spirit who sent others to you to preach the gospel to you is sending you into the world with the gospel. He, he's not content to save you and say, you know what, I just want you to know you are the one exception that I've ever made. Everybody else is sent with the gospel, but you're not. He's never said that to the one that he saves. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Which of the 11 at that point live, are still alive uh, and will be when the end of the age comes? None of them. So who was he talking to? He was talking to them with implications for us, for all of his disciples who would live. What does Acts chapter 1, 8 say? You shall be my witnesses um, when you receive power to the remotest part of the earth. Did those men get to the remotest part of the earth? No. Who is he talking to? It's us. We are the ones who are sent out. So see yourself as sent by God first into your own household. Don't be so excited about going and doing, look, street evangelism is fantastic. There's all kinds of wonderful things you can go do, but if you do it at the expense of leapfrogging over your own household, that you're not seeing yourself as a sent one to your own children, to your own parents, to your own spouse, to to your own roommates or whatever, if you're not concerned about it there, there's a little bit of 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 a disconnect in your mind. See yourself first sent into your own household. And again, that's called parenting. It's called marriage in many cases, right? See yourself as sent into the places that God has already sovereignly put you, okay? Um, He has put you in, in places that the elders of this church could never, never better or best. Um, you see the same people at the same store uh, and your same street at the same place you work over and over and over and over and over and over and nobody here could ever um, program an outreach ministry that would even begin to touch that. Every morning when I'm out watering my pots and plants out in the front, the same guy rides the same bicycle, the same guy walks the two chihuahuas, the other guy comes running by with his German shepherd who chases the two chihuahuas. The same people, I see them all the time. Nobody could program that better than God already did. So what is the best evangelistic outreach sent one that you could take advantage of? It is be faithful where you already are. Be faithful where you already are. You don't have to look for something exciting and flashy and, and where there's lots of other people doing. No, just be faithful where you are. And as you are doing that, as you are doing that, listen to me, go participate in other things too. Go do other things as well. Get creative. Go in pairs. Go downtown on Thursday night in, in Mill Avenue with the guys. Share the gospel. All right. We're out of time. I'm going to cut it off there. Um, where does, in your notes, you have one more page that says where and how to build and Wellspring fit into this. Here's all I'm going to say about that. Um, between your biblical vision, the glory of God, the cross of Jesus, and the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit, and and over here, the drawing in, the building up, and the sending out. Between those two things stands a discipleship ministry like Build and Wellspring. What they do is they, they help you to become disciplined in pursuing this God with your Bible open. That's what we're gonna work on this year. 
That's what we're going to practice. That's what we're going to try to refine, become more disciplined with ourselves personally. And in so doing, we become better equipped to do drawing in and building up and sending out in this church and beyond the walls of this church where God has us, okay? So you are going to tackle some of those things next. We've got a little bit to cover together as a large group. And then we will give you about, um, maybe about 30 minutes or so uh, with your discussion group. Um, This is the first year in Build where we um, are trying to go from the office as much paperless as we can. Um, And that's why uh, you got the email from Allie um, the way that you did that said, hey, we'll print for you anything you need, but if you've got the primary notebook stuff and can just get away with having that, just let us know. Because here's the deal. Uh, Over 40 women on Saturday mornings, over 40 women on Thursday, and about 66 guys on Saturdays. That's about 140 people and we used to make notebooks for everybody. And, um, but we, we value Allie's mental health in the office. <laughs> and she is crucial. If she goes down, if we have to commit her, um, we all, we're all in big trouble. <laughs> That's just the truth of it all. Uh, and so uh, we recognize that this is going to be a, maybe a bumpy ride trying to figure out what this looks like. Uh, for those of you who are new and doing it for the first time, you, you're, you have no idea what we're talking about. You're just experiencing it. And, um, but all I want to let you know is that um, we'll help you with whatever you need. If it's helpful for us to print stuff for you, we want to do that. We really do. Um, hey, Lori, if you want, over on that wall, you can take the dial and turn me down, if that's helpful, okay? Um, so we'll print for you anything you need, Okay. Today is the big day of like the, the stuff that's out there to, to get is to make sure you have like all the resources. And I kind of want to talk through some of that with you a little bit. Out on that table right outside, um, if you requested from Allie in response to that email or when you signed up uh, and, and through CCB, that website, and you signed up, if you said, I need stuff printed out, uh, before you go today, make sure you stop at the back table out there. She put it all together and she has your name on it. Okay, if you need something and it's not there, uh, let me know and we'll write it down and we'll get it for you. Okay, um, so we'll make sure that we get that all taken care of. Um, I got ahead of myself a little bit. Uh, what is what is build, guys? You know what build is? It used to stand for <laughs> becoming united in leadership disciplines. That's what we did a long time ago when we first started this 15 years ago. Um, 15 years ago. How old were you, John? You're like seven? Yeah, 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can remember meeting in the old office, and I can remember Eric, you guys there, many of you guys uh, meeting. And, and, and the thought back then was this ministry for men will be what is a beginning, middle, and finishing um, development, leadership development ministry that would do everything that we wanted to do in, in, in a man's life so that eventually he could go from being saved to you know, maybe even becoming an elder or being a pastor or being a missionary someday. Um, it, it didn't take long to realize that that, that was a pretty large task to undertake and build was better at some things and not at other things. 
And so Build really focuses more on just some key things. It's a discipleship ministry of this church in which we are trying to help men become more disciplined. Discipleship ministry to become disciplined um, with spiritual disciplines, spiritual pursuit of Jesus Christ. And it primarily centers around your, your prayerful, worshipful pursuit of Jesus Christ through the word of God. You must become disciplined with that. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but you don't just wake up every day doing that. But you actually have to drag your sorry carcass out of bed to do that. You've got to discipline you to do that, right? You can't live on your wife's devotional pursuit of Jesus. You have to pursue him. And you do that with the Bible open and you want to do it prayerfully, you want to do it worshipfully. And this is a ministry that we will talk about in the weeks to come uh, on what do we mean, uh, what that looks like. Um, once you do that, and, and you are a man who is concerned about that, not just at the beginning of the day, but all throughout your day, that man that steps into his household, that man is effective. That man won't be perfect. That man won't be successful in every moment, but that man it will be ready and he will be a faithful man in that, that setting. And you need to be disciplined to care for your people in your home. That's the second discipline, not just your own heart, but you have to step into your home. And the man who is disciplining himself to pursue Jesus Christ through the word of God in a prayerful and worshipful way, who is then faithfully stepping into his family and his household relationships in the way that he can be, that man, when he steps into ministry, in the church and outside of the church, man, that's, that guy is positioned well by God to be used for great things, okay? Um, we don't want to leapfrog over these things. A lot of times guys can get really excited about just wanting to teach a Sunday school class or teach a class at, at church or, or do a Bible study, and that guy's not taking good care of his own heart, and he's missing his family at home, and they know it. And the only, uh, the only one who's really excited about him doing ministry is him and everybody in his household can't believe that he's doing it, okay? So we wanna focus on these spiritual disciplines of heart, home, and ministry. There's two others, but we're gonna talk about those in weeks to come, okay? Um, your homework, your main goal for the year is to uh, read your Bible faithfully every day, if you can, Okay? Um, we, we, we will not be spiritual Nazis about it if you miss a day, okay? Um, we, we want you, though, to become disciplined in your pursuit uh, of your Bible reading, but not just Bible reading to check off a box, but, but Bible reading so that you are pursuing the God of the Bible in a worshipful and prayerful way, okay? Uh, you need to meet with your Savior with your Bible open. And so you're gonna pick a reading plan if you're not already on one, and you're going to find a several different reading plans in that email. Uh, there's a little link that Allie gave you in an email that came out this week that's for all the resources. Um, if you just look through all of those pages in there, there's like, I don't know how many different reading plans. Pick one. If you're, if you're, already, if you're already being successful and faithful with a reading plan, just keep going. Don't stop. But if you're kind of in a rut or maybe need something different or you haven't been reading on a consistent basis, maybe pick one of those. Ask for help in picking which one might be a good one to uh, uh, pick up and start working through. We'd be happy to help you with that. But the point is to, to read your Bible 
in a, in a methodical, disciplined, sequential way uh, that you're not doing Bible roulette, just opening up one time here and then the next day, you know, here. Um, but uh, you're, you're reading in, in, a, in a methodical, sequen- uh, sequential way through the Bible. But you're primarily doing it to meet in a worshipful way with your Savior, okay? Uh, we'd love to help you with that. However, there is also homework every time that we meet, and you'll see that in the handout today. Um, there's, there's a, it'll be on the build um, letterhead, but in the middle there's a box at the top that just says build homework, or it just says homework, and then it says the date and when it's due. And that's what you need to be looking for every time that you come, okay? Is, is there, there needs to be homework. The main goal for that, since we've gone paperless, is every week, the week of build, by Friday, Ali will send you an email that will have the link to print the PDFs of the notes to take on, uh, that you can take notes on, um, and that homework. There will be two different documents for you to print. If you are able to print those yourself, please print those before you come, okay? If you are not able to print those for yourself, if that's just something you don't think you're going to be able to be faithful at, just say, and then what we'll do is we'll print them for you, okay? But if we can go from printing 66 every Saturday to 20, that's a win from our vantage point, okay? Um, and the Amazon forest doesn't have to burn uh, as much, and we, we, uh, we saved it some from some paper, okay? Um, so that's your main thing that you need to be thinking of. The primary thing right now is just, um, do, do, did I, do I have my homework I need? Do I, did I print it out? Did I, uh, am I able to get that taken care of on my own? If you have any trouble, we'll help you. Um, then when you come back next Saturday, uh, the next meeting, not this next Saturday, but in two weeks, the 28th, then you're going to bring that homework back with you um, put your name on it. You're going to turn it in to your discussion group leader. We're going to go to our discussion groups in just a moment, um, and you'll know who your leader is, and you will be able to fill that out. It's probably going to be most helpful for them if you actually print out a physical copy of it and write it out and do that. Now, if you are tech-savvy enough and your discussion group leader is also tech-savvy enough, and he must be as tech-savvy as you, but if he is, and you would like to do it on your tablet, and you'd like to do it in a document, if you've got you know, a way to write into a PDF, you know, or if, you, if we can get you a, a version of it, of a doc that you can write in it, and you want to be able to just email it because you also are cool and you don't deal with paper anymore, you can do that. But there has to be a mutual contract agreement between you and your discussion group leader. If you tell your discussion group leader, oh, yeah, I emailed all of those to you this last year, and he's like, I don't even know what email is, that's not going to be helpful, okay? All of your discussion group leaders know what email is, so I can affirm that for you, okay? The homework and build is designed to be a little bit lighter. It's not um, something that you're going to have to do every single day. But if you wait until Friday night before build to do it or early morning Saturday before you come, it won't be very good. Because it does require you to give a little bit of thought. And so I encourage you to just to keep that document out, that, that homework out in front of you. Leave it on your desk. Wherever you do your Bible reading, just kind of leave it there. And maybe just kind of work through it every other day, every day, until it's done. Um, what you're going to get from your discussion group leaders is you're going to get an email or a text from them. You may have already gotten one from your discussion group leader that 
the, the week of that's going to say, hey, don't forget, Build's coming this week because here's what's going to happen. We're going to go from this moment to like two Thursdays from now, and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, there's Build on Saturday. Oh, there's homework. That's what's going to happen because you're like me. And we're like each other. This is what we do. We just get busy with life and we forget about these kinds of things and we're starting a new pattern here, a new habit for the year. And so you're, we're gonna try to remind you and send you some texts to say, hey, don't forget about your homework. Print it out, get it done, um, work on it, bring it on Saturday. Uh, but that's your main thing. What we do with that homework, that homework is an opportunity for us, for your discussion group leaders and for me and some of the elders in this ministry. It gives us the opportunity to see how well are you grasping these spiritual disciplines and how well are you learning at implementing them in your life? It's just a little window in. It doesn't say everything about you, but it gives us a little bit of a glimpse into how you're doing. Um, Build is one of the ministries for men in the church. There's another ministry after it called The Trust. That one it meets every week during the school year. It's more intensive. There's like homework every week to do. You have to, by the end of the year, you, you teach a passage to the guys who are in the group. SMED runs that um, ministry. It is a fantastic ministry. I, I, I would encourage you to consider that if you haven't. How many guys in here have done the trust before? See, and a lot of guys come back because they got kicked out of the trust and they're back here today. That's all these guys just raise their... That's not what happened. SMED is much more gracious than that. Um, but... If you would like to learn how to handle God's word and maybe grow a little bit theologically, what we need you to do is to do build well. And one of the ways you do build well is by being here um, and, and by also doing your homework well. And it lets us have a window into you. Do not do build just so that you can get into the trust. That's a terrible motive and terrible reason to do that. Do build because you want to just grow spiritually and, and learn how to become more disciplined in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? But boy, when we at the end of the year look and, and, and Smed says, hey, who do you got to recommend to come to the trust? I look through, uh, we actually like write down your homework and what, what it looks like. Um, we have a way of grading you, but we don't put a grade on your paper, okay? Uh, it just basically, hey, this was done really well. Uh, this was a little light. Um, that kind of stuff, it just helps us. Because we want a guy who doesn't just show up but then doesn't do any of the homework. That doesn't help us. We need to be able to know a little bit better than that. So that's helpful if you'll just uh, do the homework that way. If you have any questions or concerns about that, you can ask Matt Kelso back there. He'll take care of it for you. Um, all right. Page two. Oh, in your resources packet, there's some things in there that are helpful for you. I'm not gonna run through all of it. What we're gonna do, the temptation today is I gotta tell them everything and I'm just not gonna do that. It's just not gonna be helpful for you that you won't remember any of it anyway. Um, so I'm just gonna tell you a couple of things. There's a schedule in there. It's um, landscape wise and it tells you all of your dates so that you know what day Build is meeting on. It also has the names of the lessons that are on there uh, that we will be teaching, which discipline they are by D1, D2, D3, D4, D5. You can kind of see the way that we work through that. We'll talk more about that. Here's one of the most important things you need to know this morning. There is a snack sign-up that Allie sent to you, a link for snack sign-up, okay? That's probably one of the most important things that you personally could do for the rest of us. 
is sign up for one of them. Now, here's how it works. We do not ask one man to provide snacks on a Saturday morning for 66 guys. We don't. What we do is we're going to ask about six of you at a time to bring about a dozen things, maybe. Not a dozen. Yeah, something like that. Okay, what you saw out there. Allie's got it all figured out. I stay out of that because I don't need to know, and I'll only mess it up if I do know. So uh, we need you to pick, you know, a, a Saturday uh, to here or there throughout the year, maybe once every 10. Maybe do it twice during the year. That would be helpful for us if you can, okay? But we need to make sure that those get filled up, especially the next one. If you're going to volunteer for anything, volunteer for two weeks, please, so that we don't just have coffee here, but... And I'll tell you what, the women, they do the sweet and the really pretty arrangement stuff. Um, I have been absolutely shocked at what the men have done the last few years. There's like meats for breakfast. This is great. There's eggs, there's breakfast burritos, there's like brisket, there's like biscuits and gravy. And this is good for your soul. It is terrible for your body. But it is a good place to be. You'll want to do that. Sign up for that, please. Um, today, uh, I was handing out earlier, and Ben then was handing out the, dis- the, the discussion group lists that has all of your contacts in it, lets you know what discussion group you're in. If you do not have one of those, um, do you still have them with you? They're back on the table. It's a front and back. Uh, it just has a bunch of names and contact info on it. That's going to tell you who your discussion group leaders are. Let me introduce them to you. Uh, briefly. Uh, uh, Eric, would you stand? And Ashley, would you stand? These two guys are working together. Eric's the main leader. Ashley is an elder intern, and he's helping Eric out. These are That's one of our groups. Thanks, guys. You can uh, sit down. Matt York, why don't you stand up? And I'll stand up. We have a discussion group. Matt's leading. I, I am along for the ride. Um, ben and is it Chag? Ben and Shag are right here. These two guys, Jason, if you, do, if you, if you have trouble calling a man Shag, um, call him Jason. I put both those names on my name Yeah. Okay. When, when I came 15 years ago, there was a man greeting at the front of the church, and he had hair like this and a beard, and it, it was Scooby-Doo. I, and that's where he got it. He's had that, and, and it's stuck for those of us who know him. Another discussion group right here, ben, uh, Shag is leading, Ben is assisting. Matt Kelso and Wayne, would you guys stand up? There's another group right there that is leading, Wayne is leading and Matt is an elder helping out. Jeff and Tyler is not here this morning, so Jeff Hantla and Tyler Azeltine are leading together and Jeff has done this many times and will take very good care of you. Am I missing another? Yeah, Vincent and Eric. Eric Martin is an elder, and Vincent Lee is the main leader. And I love this setting. This is a great setting because elders get to watch another man in the church leading other men in the spiritual disciplines. This is like an amazing laboratory to be in uh, for leadership development. It's fantastic, okay? In a moment, you're going to find out where those guys are and where they're going to meet. What we're going to do in in a moment here is um, Matt and me, my group, why don't we just go through this door? We'll go into the conference room, okay, uh, in the office. Um, the rest of you guys, um, just pick a spot over on the other side of the, in the NGM side. Just grab a classroom, pull some chairs together, okay? Uh, so just kind of find your group. We'll, we'll make sure you get there uh, in a moment. Um, Bible reading plan. Oh, there, there is also in the, in the, um, in your, material, there is a cleanup rotation 
this takes place on a Saturday. Church happens on a Sunday morning. If we can uh, take our room and break it down into the way that it needs to be for, for our room over there, the first and second graders tomorrow, um, that will be helpful. We don't have to do that today. But every Saturday we will have to. We got to put the food away. We got to vacuum a little bit. We got to, you know, maybe wipe down some bathrooms just a little bit. Um, there's a rotation on that, and we do that by discussion groups throughout the year. We just keep rotating. The group that does it really, really, really well just eventually ends up doing it every. No, we don't do it that way. Um, we we rotate through. Okay. Um, so what do you need to do for September 28th? That's our next time, two weeks from today. When you come in, come early, come at 6.45. Even though we start at 7, come at 6.45. You'll go down the other side over there because we'll be over in that room on that side. Get some coffee, get something to drink, get some a snack, come in. Make sure you've got all your stuff you need. Come with your homework that was handed to you today, completed, come ready to bring that. Um, work on that. Maybe look through the Bible reading plan and the plans if you don't have one and pick one by September 28th because we want you to be able to start by October 1st if you can. That's just a nice starting point at the beginning of a month. Um, and uh, just be ready to go. We'll start right at 7 o'clock sharp, okay? And we finish at 9.15.